welcome to the Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. My guest today is Matthew Michaelwitz, who's no stranger to Flying Solo, being a guest on this very podcast early last year. Matthew has more than a decade of experience in starting, running, and selling high-growth companies, and is featured in Time Magazine, The New York Times, and Forbes, and he joins us today from his base in Adelaide. His last venture was recognized as Australia's third fastest-growing company in 2012, a business which he subsequently sold for, well, a good few million dollars. So very nice one there, Matthew. Matthew is one of the hand-picked keynote speakers at the upcoming Key Person of Influence Personal Brand Accelerators, running in capital cities across Australia. Before we hear from Matthew, let me tell you that if you'd like to fast-track your success in 2015, we invite you to take the Key Person of Influence online quiz and get a 30-page report that diagnoses where you are already strong and what needs work. But wait, there's more. You'll also receive a free hard copy of Amazon's business and entrepreneurship bestseller, Become a Key Person of Influence. Just head to kpiquiz.com.au forward slash flying solo. And don't worry, I'll give you that link again after we've heard from Matthew And that's once we've explored how to make this your best year yet. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Robert. Great to be back. Good. Now, look, um, whilst I guess we may not be a community that's dominated by those people that are wishing for what you would call or what, uh, what is called high growth, we're certainly a group that are looking to achieve success whatever that may look like. So I I know that uh, what we're going to be talking about today is highly relevant. So perhaps we could open, Matthew, with with, um, you just telling us a little bit about how important do you see it that we start our year with very clear goals? How important is that to to our ultimate success this year? Yeah, look, uh, Robert, I think it's critical. And uh, just taking a step back, you know, we spent um, a lifetime studying our craft. If we're entrepreneurs, whatever we specialize in, whether, you know, it's personal training businesses or accounting or law, software development, engineering, it doesn't matter. We spend enormous amount of time, years practicing it, studying it and so on. Mm. And we consequently spend very little time trying to understand and decipher how our brain works and how we could potentially use it uh, to help aid our success. And this is where goals come in. You know, there's, there's no uh, magic or voodoo or mysticism around the effectiveness of goals. It really just comes back to the basic structure of the brain, how it's designed, and uh, and how goals impact it. And what goals do is it makes your mind focus on something specific. So people, entrepreneurs that start a year with some specific objective, some specific goal, whatever that might be, it doesn't have to be a high-growth business. It could mm. be um, uh, expanding uh, by 5%, 10%. It could be adding staff members. It could be winning certain key accounts. It doesn't matter what that is. Once you've identified that as a goal, 
what happens from a brain perspective is your mind begins to focus on that objective. And as you begin going through the year, the days, the weeks, the months, and so on, if you review your goals on a regular basis, that is refocusing your mind, and all of a sudden you're looking for opportunities and potential stepping stones that could help you achieve that goal. Whereas if you start the year without any clear objectives and without any clear goals, you'll go through the same pattern of days, weeks, months, and so on, and you could be presented with opportunities that could advance your business, but you're not looking for them. You're not mm. consciously uh, searching for those stepping stones that will get you into a certain position. So it's a, it's a brain phenomenon. It's something every entrepreneur should do. It's proven to work. It's quick. It's effective. And it's a great way to kind of start the year as kind of like a mini uh, plan. What do I want to do this year? What are my objectives? Okay, well, look, and uh, last time we spoke, and I say about a year ago, we were talking about your book that uh, at that point was fairly recently published, The Life in Half a Second. And in there, you talk about a concept that I'd love to um, perhaps just invite you to talk about a little more now, which is this whole notion of reticular activation. And that was some research that I think you unearthed or you may be involved in. Just if you would just talk, talk sure. to our community a little bit about that. What is reticular activation and why is it relevant? Absolutely. So I've always enjoyed the study of the human brain, psychology, behavior, why we act in certain ways, why we experience fear, you know, all of those kind of things, because they influence us as an entrepreneur. And, and reticular activation, it's a, it's a very, you know, fancy sounding term that really uh, means and, uh, and talks about the ability of the brain to focus on a specific item and mm. exclude other things and items around it. And the example that I often use, and the viewer, the listener to this podcast can actually do it right now. If you close your eyes and try to think in your surrounding without opening your eyes, what are all of the items? Try to think of three, four, or five items that are red. And usually when you close your eyes and begin thinking about it, it will be difficult because you weren't looking for red. Mm. So, and try any color. It can be green, blue, purple, it doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, if you try that same exercise and look around the room and, and look for green or for a different color and then close your eyes, all of a sudden you're able to pinpoint all of those locations where an item with the color green exists. So this is the concept of reticular activation that if you tell your brain, look, focus on, uh, and, and uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, this was used to uh, look for food for uh, predators and so forth. This is the brain's ability to focus on something that's important to us. So if you use reticular activation and create a goal, you can think of this as the color red. And all of a sudden, when you start going through, like we said earlier, the days, weeks, months, and so forth of the year, every day you're looking for red. You're looking for something that's gonna get you closer to the goal. So you're tapping into a well-known psychological phenomenon, reticular activation, to aid your journey as an entrepreneur. And mm. this is really the, the whole secret to why goals are effective and why people with goals end up achieving more, because they're tapping into this power and uh, 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 using it to aid their success. They're looking for opportunities. That's the easiest way to summarize it. Yeah, okay. So, but... I, I mean, my, my sort of observation of, of uh, the way a number of people work with goals is, is and, and I've done this in, in a sort of a coaching role where you work with someone and say, okay, let's get clear on what your goals are. Mm -hmm. But then the challenge can be, and particularly, I guess, for our audience who are, just to remind you, you know, people largely working by themselves, yeah. don't necessarily have a great degree 
of sort of accountability from others. How do we, how, well, how do you keep your goals in front of you? How do you keep them front and center? Yes. So extremely good question, because if you set a goal and you, you know, put it in your back pocket and then forget about it and, you know, wash, mm. wash your jeans or suit, and then that's kind of the end of the goal. So for them to be effective, they have to be reviewed. You have to talk about them and so forth. So if you're completely by yourself, that's difficult because it requires a great degree of self-discipline, kind yeah. of like, you know, going to the gym every single morning, training, eating, right? That's a solo kind of uh, undertaking and it requires mm. discipline. So what I advocate is for people to team up with someone, and I call this the goal buddy system. Yep. You can team up with someone that also has goals for this year. They don't even have to be business goals. They could be fitness goals. They could be uh, something associated with family or spending. It, does, it doesn't matter what the no. goal is, but they're dedicated to the goal. And you meet, say, you know, it'd be great to have a coffee once a week, but at a minimum, once a month or, or, uh, or uh, sooner, and to discuss the goals and the progress that they're making. And then you ask them, what are you going to do in the next week or in the next month? What are the action items? What are the opportunities that have presented themselves that might further your uh, journey towards the goal? So it, it has this amazing effect of accountability. It refocuses you in every meeting. Okay, this is my goal. This is the progress that I've made. This is what I need to be doing over the next week or the next month. And that's priceless. So mm -hmm. I, I, I advocate everybody to, um, instead of trying to do it on their own, just find it can be a friend or someone that you work with that has a goal or objective for this year. Team up with them and say, hey, how about we meet every two weeks for a coffee and discuss our goals and the progress that we're making towards them. Yeah, okay. And look, and I, I, I totally, totally agree with everything you're saying there. And, I, and happily, we've set up a few things within our forums and uh, within our meetup groups where people can find someone to buddy with. And I, and I agree, I think it's totally uh, essential or essential that we do that. But when you're working with someone on goals, do you, you know, you mentioned there about having them in the back pocket. Um, do you do you suggest people do carry their goals with them at all time, keep them on their desktop, keep them in front of them? How should we, how can we reinforce and kind of, if you like, cheat the system a little bit? Yeah, it, it depends how much you want your goal. So mm. the more obsessive you are about achieving a goal, research shows the more likely you are to achieve it. So the more it's in front of you, the more you think about it, the more you're, you're telling your brain, hey, I want this goal. Think of ways that um, I can achieve it. Look for opportunity. The more that happens in your life, the greater the probability of success because you're dedicating more mental energy to the specific subject. And that is just like when you think about a problem, you might find mm -hmm. other ways to solve it or, or different, uh, different approaches that you might not have come across before. So I, the, you know, to give you an example from a larger company, I met a business that had about 500 employees and it was the first company, this is in Australia, that I met where every single employee had the company goals for the next financial year printed on a very nice uh, card that was waterproof, you know, almost indestructible, it wasn't just a, a flabby piece of paper, and they carried it around with them every single day. And the goals, um, they were company goals, and then for, depending on which role you were in, it said three to five things that you could do that would help the company achieve the goal. Mm. I mean, think about, think about um, from an employee perspective, having 500 people and everyone in their pocket 
carrying a card that dictates, you know, here are the three goals the company's trying to achieve this year, and here's what you could be doing every day to help the company achieve those goals. Mm. That's amazing. So we can do that as a solo entrepreneur. Put in your pocket, what are you trying to achieve this year, and what are the three to five things that you need to be doing that will help you get there? Yeah. And, and if you carry that around and look at it on a regular basis and do nothing other, different other than just that, your chances of success are going to be greater, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, no, look, I, I, again, I get that, and, I, and I'm sure that there's a, there's, you know, a certain number of corporate escapees um, listening to this thinking, oh, you know, I, I work for a company that tried to do something like that, but I'm sure they didn't do it as, as efficiently and effectively as the organization that you mentioned. And I think part of it was, was what you were mentioning there is this, it's one thing to have the company goals, but clearly, yes, another to then align them very closely with your own personal goals and your, your kind of role within it. Yes. Now, I know within your book, you, you talk a fair bit um, about aligning goals with desire. Could you just talk to us a little bit about that? I think you had an exercise that you get people to do just to make sure that goals are aligned closely with your true desires. Sure, and it's, a, and it's a great point. Um, the statistics show, Robert, depending on which um, study you look at, that approximately 80% of New Year resolutions each year are abandoned. Mm. So it's a, it's a sobering statistic. Whatever those resolutions are, start a business, grow a business, quit smoking, get a divorce, get married, it doesn't matter. 80% are abandoned. And not only are they not achieved, but the pursuit of the goal is, is abandoned itself. Mm. So if you look at a statistic like that, it's not that people are weak-willed. I mean, many are, but that mm. isn't the underlying reason. It's just that people are actually creating the wrong goals for themselves. An example of that might be you're in a corporate job that you really don't care about. It's not your passion. It's not what you want to be doing. Uh, you might have a mortgage. You might have two kids. You feel trapped. And so all of a sudden, you set goals for yourself, such as I want a promotion mm. or I want an advancement in this, uh, in, in this path. But deep down inside, it's not even really what you want to be doing. You know, deep yeah. down inside, you'd love to be you'd on be your own. You'd love to be, yeah, yeah, you'd love to be actually in a completely different field, doing something completely different. So if you set goals like that, they sound great on paper. Oh, I'd love to lose 10 kilo. I'd love to do this, etc. But deep down inside, if it's not what you really want and crave, your commitment to the goal is weak. Mm. And when your commitment to the goal is weak, the chances of abandonment become very, very high. So one of the things that I, like, I ask entrepreneurs to do, rather than just setting arbitrary goals, you know, you mm. sit down and the entrepreneur says, I want to grow profit by 10% or revenue by 15% or I want to hire. So th those are all great goals, but they're arbitrary in the sense because there isn't a clear connection mm. between what that entrepreneur deep down inside wants. Yep. So, I, so I, one exercise that I like entrepreneurs to do is to talk about really the things that bother them the most in their business or their life at mm. the moment. And and if you, you know, I've spoken to hundreds of entrepreneurs, and the things that usually come to the surface, Robert, are things like, I'm trapped in the business. I'm working all the time. Everything's dependent on me. I can't go on vacation. Mm. I feel, you know, if I get sick, I don't know how the business is going to run. My kids are growing up without me. I don't have good work-life balance. You know, so, you, so now you're getting to some emotional substance of things that people really care about. These aren't just you know arbitrary topics anymore. These are like central to the person's um, 
feelings and sure. how they feel about themselves and their life. And then what I do is, is take these items and say, how can we make this a goal for this year? Mm. In other words, how can we address this thing that really bothers you, that you're working seven days a week, that you're uh, unable to take a proper holiday, that you come home um, at 6 p.m. and you have to continue to work rather than play with the kids? What can we do to change that? so that you work, say, five days a week, or, or uh, in the first instance, maybe just six days a week, and when you come home, there's no more work. And then the person begins to think and say, well, you know, I'd have to hire someone that is able to do this element of my job that I'm currently doing. Yep. And then you ask the next question, okay, how much would a person like that cost? And whatever that number is, X. And the business currently can't afford X, so the owner is doing it. Yep. And then, and then you um, peel back the onion further and you say, what would you need to do in your business to be able to afford X, to be able to afford to hire this person? Well, I'd need to sell more. I'd need to increase my prices. You know? And this becomes all of a sudden a meaningful discussion. And when you get to the end of the onion and you find out that the business actually needs to increase profit by you know, 12.5% or increase revenue and so forth, that's goal is now connected something that is fundamentally important to that entrepreneur. It's not just some arbitrary mm. you know, number. They understand that if they do all of these things, increase sales, do more marketing, blah, 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 and they achieve the financial outcome, that outcome will allow them to hire someone, which will take pressure off them, which will allow them to spend more time mm. with their family, kids, and so on. So all of a sudden, if you set up a goal like that, your commitment to it is much, much greater mm. than, you know, I, I want a new boat this year. Sure. A, go a goal like that. It's fairly it, meaningless. It's meaningless. I mean, yeah. It's great. You know, everyone would love a boat or a bigger boat or a fancy car. But in itself, those are the type of goals that, that really are easy to abandon and mm. they're nice to have kind of things. But when you talk about the things that are really important to you, um, and connect the goals to these things, especially the things that bother you, because these are the things we, we tend to think about a lot, then research shows that you are generally much more committed to following through with the action items to achieve the goal. Okay, perfect. And so, as you say, you know, with 80% abandonment, which is a, you know, a scary figure, isn't it? It's amazing. It is. It's very alarming. And to think how many people start the new year with, as, as you mentioned, resolutions, and then you know, probably a few weeks, a few months later, eight out of 10 of those have gone by the wayside. That's just absolutely crazy. So, absolutely. okay, so I've got that point totally that you need to align with the desire, break it right down, as you say, peel the onion back, go through, okay, so if you want that, what do you need to do to do that? So if you do that, what's it going to give you? And always attaching it to to something emotional, to that, that desire. There's another yeah. another phrase that, um, that I remember that, um, that you talked about, which is this whole notion of, of kind of what could you do if you if you couldn't fail? That's a question I think that you use a, a fair bit with entrepreneurs yep. that you're doing. How do you use that? In what sort of context? Well, it's it's. It, I like the whole concept of what I call, and I, and I think this might be an accepted term, unconstrained thinking. Right. And uh, unconstrained thinking is well, it can be on any subject. You could be in a corporate and say, look, if we had to increase market share, profit, etc., and there were no constraints, no, we had all the money in the world, we had all the resources in the world, time wasn't an object, etc. Just let's just brainstorm some ideas. This is the concept of unconstrained type of thinking. And the problem with most people is all of their thinking is constrained thinking. Oh, okay. When we begin 
thinking, it's already with constraints. Mm. I've got. I can't do that because I. Correct. That that won't work because. Starting position for a thinking exercise is all of the limitations. Yeah. I've got a mortgage payment, I've got kids, I've, I'm, I'm this, blah, 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 you know, there's a list from here to the moon mm. of all of the constraints. And when you begin in a highly constrained position um, in thinking, obviously the things you come up with are gonna be very limited because you, you're not exploring the universe. So this concept of what would you do if you couldn't fail is kind of an exercise in unconstrained thinking. Forget all the you know, excuses or limitations, you're too old, you don't have enough money, you're not connected, you're blah, 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 forget mm-hmm. all of that. Just in an unconstrained manner, you've got all the money in the world, blah, blah, blah. What would you do? You know, failure, failure isn't an option, it's guaranteed you would, you would succeed. What would you really enjoy doing? What would be the, the dream occupation? What are the things that you're, you're passionate about? So this is one of the exercises, not, not to encourage people to, you know, abandon everything in their life and go on some wild goose chase pursuing, you know, something that they might have been crazy about when they were six years old. This is an exercise to try to get people to throw off the constraints momentarily and talk about what's really in their heart. What are, what are, what is it, what are the dreams they had growing up? What are the things that light them up inside when they do or see or read about? What are the things that really interest them? If they could do anything in the world, what would they do? Would they, you know, um, take on some grand humanitarian cause? Would they, you know, and from this kind of unconstrained thinking, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Mm. You begin to understand the real passions and desire of the person. And then you try to see how far is that person, their desires from what they're actually doing right now. And research shows that the entrepreneurs where there is no gap, they are actually doing the thing that they are crazy about, the thing that is their passion, their dream, their life's work, the the thing that no matter how successful they were, they would continue doing it. It is the thing that just gets them out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. and they can't wait to do it. There's no gap. If you're doing actually that, you're going to be way more successful. But what about this, this little word called fear? What about this thing that yeah. kind of jumps in when you're having these unconstrained thoughts and the little voice in your head is going, oh, you know, you can't do that. You'll never get that. What, you know, <laughs> what do you, how do you counter that? What's your response to that when someone says, yeah, you know? I, I've, you know, I grew up um, in a very balanced and uh, risk adverse environment. And I studied corporate finance at the university, which is really, you know, for four or five years studying the whole concept of risk and reward, which, mm-hmm. you know, risk is the things we fear. We, we uh, quit our job, we put our house on the line to start a business and it all goes belly up. Mm. Um, um, where are we at, at the end of it? So um, I've always approached entrepreneurship with the mindset of how can I minimize the risk? Because if you, because risk and fear are the same things yeah. when, in, in my view in, in a business. So mm-hmm. we don't go and pursue, say you're in a corporate um, career and you'd love to be an actor. The fear is really the risk of failure, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the, I quit my job, all of a sudden there's risk, I'm not getting an income, I go to Hollywood, um, I, I, I'm starving, I, I try to get into <laughs> roles, or that fear of failing in that pursuit is really the risk. So I, I use those two words combined. Okay. Yep. And entrepreneurship for me, good entrepreneurship, is not about how can I take on huge amounts of risk and if it all succeeds, 
then, wow, there's going to be a great reward and I'll be doing something that I love. I always approach any venture or any business opportunity by looking, obviously, at the upside, what, what, what is it that can be gained, mm-hmm. but I'm much more focused on the downside, on the risk, and I focus my attention on how that risk can be mitigated. Okay. So I'll give you an I've got a friend that uh, is working in an ASX50 company. Um, it's not his passion. And actually, I've, I've got a few friends that work yes. at ASX50 companies that fit this paradigm. It's mm-hmm. not their passion, and they're creating a business on the side. They started on the weekends. Um, they put in very limited amount of funds. They, they saw if they could get early adopter customers for what they're doing, um, or they got some other co-founders with them. And then all of a sudden, as the idea grew into a business, into a product, into the first customers, then they went to the ASX company and said, hey, I want to work four days a week rather than five. Okay. And then they start working one, and, and, and then eventually it might be three days a week. Eventually they might quit or whatever the case might be. This is an example of risk mitigation, right? You're, mm-hmm. you, you, there's something you really want to do. You're passionate about it. One, one of these is in the gaming industry, completely different from what the ASX50 company is doing. It's been a passion of theirs all their life. They want to pursue it, but again, fear. They don't want to fail. They don't want to quit a great job that pays well. They've got a mortgage and kids but they want to pursue their passion, their true desires at the same time. So they work out a strategy of how almost you can have your cake and eat it too. Mm. How can I pursue my dream while at the same time ensuring that if the whole thing goes belly up, um, I haven't jeopardized my family or my uh, uh, family home and so on. Yeah, and so I, I, guess, I guess also just jumping in, thinking again of, of our audience, I guess that uh, you know, I think that's a very real scenario where people, we often f- find people on our discussion forums that are very anxious about making the leap. And yeah. and often the, the the response that our community will give back to them is, well, you know, take take that concern away, do it step by step. You don't have to just jump off the, the cliff top. You can do it in stages. You can do these things gradually. But... Um, and and I think that with a lot of these these fears, as you say, it can they can be mitigated. We can look at other ways of doing things. But um, do you do you suggest therefore that when we're looking at at goals for the year ahead, and some of them might be these you know these big hairy goals that have a, a, a you know fear kind of bundled with them. Um, should we then pull those back and go, okay, well, let's get to stage one or step one of that goal and let's kind of reassess. Is that, a, is that another route that you would recommend to kind of do it in stages? Yeah, I, I always approach everything in stages. So mm. I'm building a new business at the moment and it's got long-term goals and ambitions and directions. But in the first um, stage You've got to, I I always approach from the customer's perspective, I go and interview prospective customers. I do an enormous amount of market research. Um, If the research validates the idea, I might build a low-cost prototype to go and show to these customers. So those are the goals that happen before anything major happens. So you look at the statistics of entrepreneurship. They're not great either. You know, the majority of businesses, small businesses fail within five years of startup. And the reason mm. for that is not that they're bad businesses, but because people make the leap too early. Mm. There's not enough validation. Uh, the the, the, the uh, market hasn't been uh, uh, talked to or consulted in a proper way. The product is immature and so forth. So I love the staged approach because it minimizes risk for everyone. Mm. 
you go and talk to the customers, you build a little, you show it to them, you make a, uh, an advancement and so on. And at, at any point in time, you haven't made this gigantic leap of faith and you have no idea whether this is going to work or not work. I, I, I myself as an entrepreneur couldn't tolerate that amount of risk. No, and, look, and I, I think that's a great point. And I would also just, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about the statistics of failure, but I also think it's true that in many cases, what we're witnessing is not failure, but are people that have taken those first steps, done that bit of research and gone, you know what, this isn't going to work. This is not going to fly like this. So not, I wouldn't consider that any more than you would, I don't think, to be a failure. That's a learning. And you I, go I back agree. and you, you, know, you repackage and, and Absolutely. Well, look, and, and just to give you a quick mm. example on that, Robert, you know, I had... Uh, a lot of uh, ideas and uh, and and I mean I had this view in my mind I'd love to make movies I'd love mm-hmm. to go and uh, produce movies direct movies you know I've written books um, right. making things visually is like an extension of that so again would I go and quit everything that I'm doing you know just abandon everything mm-hmm. um, all teaching speaking not start another company etc and then jump into it knowing the very little that I know about movie making as mm-hmm. I do now, of course not, because the risk is huge. Yeah. And so then the first step is why don't and anyone can do this in a corporate career. If you want to go and do something and you know little about it, take a leave of absence for two or three or four mm-hmm. weeks and go and explore this area. And this is what I did with, uh, with film directing. You know, I went and studied it for a month and found in the end that it's nothing like I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Right, so yeah. so you so, didn't so, fail; you learned. Correct. This is exactly yeah. the example that that, mm. that you're using, but the risk was very low. Yeah. Because yeah. then I could go back to what I was doing before. You know, in the case of someone that's working in a corporation, the leave of absence ends. They go back um, to the job, and they or when I came to Australia after I sold my business in the United States, I had this grand idea. I love martial arts. I love kung fu the Bruce Lee style, Wing Chun, etc. I'm going to study that full time. It's going to be just amazing. I'll work out. You know, I had this picture in my head. Mm. So when I arrived in Australia, I studied, I started studying Wing Chun on a full time basis. And again, after two or three months, it was nothing like I had pictured that nice. it would be. So many times the things we have in our heads of what things will be like are very different to mm. what they're like in reality. And that's why I think we need to take things in stages, see what it's like. This is why college students should actually go and do work experience in the area that they're studying to make sure this is what they want to be doing for the next 20 or 30 years of their life rather than getting a degree and mm. then discovering what it's like. Yeah. Great point. Look, I'm, we're getting near to the end of our, of our talk. I'd like to ask you, this, this is something I'd just like to throw at you. How old is your oldest child? Ten. Ten. A boy or a girl? Boy, both boys. Both boys, okay. Sorry, I think I knew that. (laughs) A lot of work, yeah. (laughs) A lot of work. What I'd like to know is, where is goal setting in their life, particularly the 10-year-old? Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not not using it at all yet? No. How do you uh, resist? How do you resist not not helping your 10-year-old with planning goals? I'm I'm very uh, um, cautious of trying to impose things on other people, on anybody. So... You know, one of the tragedies of the world in general is uh, humanity's desire to impose their views and their systems onto other people. And there's a you know, 6,000 year history of that. Mm. So I, I'd love for my children to get to a point where they want to achieve something and they're not sure how to go about achieving it, whether that's 
athletics uh, at school, whether it's uh, um, studying and so forth, and for me to be able to introduce them into a system like goal setting mm. of how they could go about achieving it. Okay. So I want, I want you want to, it to come from them. Correct. I want yeah. it to come from within and come naturally and organically rather than something that I try to impose and obviously they're going to try to resist and reject it. Okay, so life in half a second is not sitting by their beds every time they go to sleep. Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, another one question I'd like to ask. Who's, you know, you've, you've done a lot of things. You've moved in different parts of the world. Uh, I, I know you, you, uh, you sort of settled in the U.S., you built uh, successful businesses there. You moved to Australia. You've, you've chosen to grow your businesses and, and devote yourself to sort of entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs. Um, who has been, you met a lot of people. So I'd like to know who's been the greatest influence on you in your life and your work and what did they teach you? Yeah, we, look, without a doubt, it has been Arnold Schwarzenegger for, for two reasons. One, <laughs> He influenced me tremendously as a young adult, um, you know, as a, as a teenager through the books that he wrote around bodybuilding, around uh, or the books that even were written on him, his climb to success um, in, in sports and in business in movies and then later in politics. And the, and the first thing that I took away from the books is the man's unbelievable desire for the goals that he sets. It's just, you know, if you read, uh, I think it's Barbara Outland's book about uh, Arnold. She was his first girlfriend in the U.S., and the book is called Arnold and I. Mm. And, you know, it's it's a great book, and she talks about just the amazing mental power of the man sitting at his desk, you know, 5 a.m. on New Year's Day, setting goals on index cards, and the unbelievable work that he would put into achieving those goals. They had to happen. It was like destiny. You know, he'd work just more than he'd outwork anyone and, and, and so on. So I was really mm. introduced to goals and to the power of desire through the stuff that I read maybe at the age of 14 around Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then throughout all my life, I kind of viewed him as the person that had everything, you know, fame, wealth, uh, influence, uh, uh, you know, talk about the, the best built man in the world, nice. you know, just on, on every dimension. And when I ended up actually meeting him and I had, I think, half an hour conversation with him on all sorts of different subjects, the second thing that he taught me, and this was in person, he told me that you can't have it all. And I never forget those words as mm. he kind of, you know, when the Terminator stands in front of you and, <laughs> and tells you a, a, a pearl of wisdom, you never forget it. So it was an amazing moment, you know, when he's trying to explain that success has a price. Everything has a cost. If you go and spend a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to achieve this, whatever this is, a business, you know, athletics, etc., there's something you have to give up mm. to attain that, which might be time with family. It might be um, hobbies and interests that you have on the side. Everything has a price. Everything has a cost. And no human being can have everything. Mm. And those were, you know, for me, very powerful and, and, uh, and deeply philosophical um, lessons. Yeah, that, and that's um, brilliant that he, he not only uh, sort of models for you or modeled for you so much um, a way of being, but also he modeled caution. Um, yes. You know, he gave you an example of caution and just... And decisions. Of, and yes, okay, fantastic. Well, look, um, just finally, as, as I mentioned at the outset, let me just um, uh, say this little piece. The generous people at KPI, um, Matthew is, is one of their wonderful speakers, the generous people at KPI can help you easily discover your personal influence score. That is just how well 
you're doing in your enterprise. By taking their terrific quiz online, you'll not only get a 30-page report that will clarify some of your key influence goals, you'll also score a free copy of the best-selling book, Become a Key Person of Influence. Simply head to kpiquiz.com.au forward slash flying solo. Well, look, Matthew, thank you so much, Matthew Michaelwitz, for giving your time with us again and for helping our community make this their best year yet. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, talk to you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening.